Hi there, I'm Tom Schultz, host of Voices of Montana, an issue-oriented newsmaker radio program heard weekdays on 18 radio stations with 27 signals all across the Treasure State. Thanks for clicking on the podcast. Please subscribe and we'll do our best to keep you connected. We're also on Facebook at Voices of Montana and on the Internet at VoicesOfMontana.com, where I'd love to hear from you. Contact me at Tom at VoicesOfMontana.com. Montana's Eastern District U.S. House race. She's a mite crowded. Former six-term Congressman Danny Reberg recently announced his bid for a return to office. Reberg hasn't been in office since 2012. What What do you make of the last 12 years? Those will be some fun things to talk about. Join us as you hear the issues on the plate for former Congressman Denny Reberg, again, making a bid to Congress to return to Congress. Let's just welcome our guest here. It's going to be a pleasure. I have to say I, uh, I worked for Danny as a communication staffer from a uh, – oh, what, when was it, Denny? Welcome here, by the way. I hope you're well. Yeah, it seemed like forever. It was yeah, thank 12 you. 12 years. <laughs> I couldn't get rid of you. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't – yeah, I couldn't figure out how to kick you out the door. Well, um, and, and I got no response to that because I probably would have just bounced right back in. And speaking of <laughs> bouncing back in, you're trying to bounce back in as well. I mean, what uh, what went into that? I'm really excited. I really am. And let me tell you a quick story. My great-grandfather, A.J. Rebert, born in Montana, 1873, as he was shutting his dairy down, or my dad was shutting the dairy down, Midland Guernsey Dairy on Reberg and Polly, he said, why can't you make a living like I did in the dairy business on 100 milk cows? And my dad gave the best answer, because you didn't have an income tax. And so when I look back and say, uh, they didn't have an income tax. They were able to amass um, money. And look what we're doing now. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, Obamacare, uh, you name it, OSHA, MSHA, um, EEOC. I look at the four-year-old and the three two-year-old grandsons that I have and said, I'm not going to be the one. They look back and say, Papa, what did you do to us? We cannot make it. Uh, we want to start a business. We want to do this. We want to do that. But look what you've done to us. And so are we so arrogant to think that we are an empire that can continue to spend more money than our people can afford to pay like the Roman Empire and exist in the future? No. And so, yeah, I'm coming out of retirement. Um, do I need the money? No. Do I need the hassle? No. Uh, do I have the experience? I hope so. I want to go back and say, look what you're doing to the next generation. I'm not going to allow that to happen if one voice can make a difference. All right, then how did we get here? Not paying attention, uh, given everybody, everything everybody wanted. You know, it's really easy. Uh, you look at uh, the farm programs. We talk about the farm bill. Well, the farm bill isn't a farm bill anymore. It's a, it's a uh, you know, food stamps and... Uh, all the other things that go into it, and the production agriculture isn't really the focus of a farm bill. We just get our bits and pieces. And uh, you can go on down the list of all the various agencies, and we have more than we can afford, and ultimately it's going to catch up with us. We have a president that has spent $3.5 trillion in the last uh, three years. We're $35 trillion in debt. Where do you stop? Look at the border. I I don't have to create the argument that this president is a disaster. He is dismantling this country, uh, one illegal alien at a time. 
and you go down and you look at it, and they're coming across the border, they're committing crime, and it's not just in Texas. Uh, talk to Austin Knutson, our attorney general, and he'll tell you the fentanyl is just going crazy coming in both from the southern border and the northern border. And the northern border, every bit is a much a, a problem as the southern border. So we're seeing the effects. And, um, Tom, you and I are old enough that we can survive. We, we can make it. Uh, we can live off our retirement and enjoy ourselves and go to Arizona and all of that. But are we really doing the next generation a favor by turning our backs on the things that are occurring in this country? And I say, no, I'm willing to put my name on the ballot. And I hope the people of Montana feel that I have something to bring to the table to try and affect change for the future. Former Congressman Danny Rigg, I may uh, may accidentally just call you Congressman because uh, that's what I've done for for a lot of years. Um, you know, grew up in Montana, Billings, Montana native, uh, Montana State University. Uh, we have joked uh, about that, and every now and again, I still get a call from you uh, when the Bobcats accidentally win a game or something like that. So I I, <laughs> I still do appreciate that. Let's talk about the debt, okay? Because we kind of started there. Um, it's it's so monumental. And, uh, and you're right. I, I think the government is trying to be big brother to everybody. We can't necessarily afford that. I don't know that there's the will in Congress to attack that. And, and then, of course, you worked on appropriations for a lot of years as well. So uh, talk about some of those solutions. Talk about what, you know, if you get into office, what would you try to do to manage the debt, to try to bring the debt down without, uh, you know, serious consequences to our economy? It's always interesting to me that people think I got on appropriations to spend money. No. Uh, When I was a freshman in the state legislature, Jack Ramirez put me on appropriations to do nothing but right-size, downsize, try and make government more efficient, more effective, Uh, get rid of the programs that don't work, uh, move along the programs that do. So when I got to Congress, I wanted to be on appropriations, not to spend more money, and you kind of get that reputation as that's why you're on the committee. No, I was on the committee to, again, try and right-size, downsize, make government look more like society ought to look like, and make it affordable. And the bottom line is, right now, we can't afford all the things we're doing. Um, use the Social Security Trust Fund as an example. There is no trust fund. Uh, the money has been stolen from the trust fund for years to be spent on other programs. And one day we're going to wake up and the kids are going to go, tell me again why I should be paying Social Security tax. And we'll have to hold our noses and say, because we've always done it this way. And what we've got to do is look at the Social Security tax trust fund and say, Where's the money going? Why is the money that we're paying in Social Security taxes not necessarily going into a trust fund? Same with Medicare, same with Medicaid. Uh, Obamacare is a mess, and um, it's going to end up being more of a mess. And I was the chairman of that committee, Mm -hmm. uh, the Appropriations Subcommittee, and I can see it. And they built certain things into Obamacare that are unaffordable. And uh, it's always hard to want to take something away, but we have to look very closely at where the money is going, why we're spending it, can we afford it now, and are we going to be able to afford it in the future? You did some work in Congress, as, as I recall as well, in, in, in terms of 
right sizing and downsizing. Uh, you know, talk about how how much waste we you actually uncovered. Oh, uh, you know, I I uh, became a member of the Liberty Caucus, which was Ron Paul. Well, Rand kind of took over uh, his father's work on trying to identify the waste and the fraud and the abuse, and uh, uh, you know, it's simple things and. And uh, at least in Montana, you can get right down to are there too many cars in the motor pool or uh, too many file cabinets at the Department of Labor. In Congress, they don't sit down and go over item by item looking at where the money is going. And that's the kind of thing I enjoy. I'm, I'm a rancher by trade. I'd rather be out pounding posts and chasing cows and doing all of that. But I really... Uh, enjoy getting in the middle of a budget and making the determination, are we spending the money the right way it ought to be spent? And that's maybe my forte. People say, well, you don't introduce a lot of bills. No, I don't introduce bills because uh, not a lot more legislation ought to be passed. We ought to actually enforce the laws we have in place, like immigration laws, Mr. President. And most of the problems we have lie at the feet of uh, Joe Biden right now. And I so look forward to working with Donald Trump. And, and uh, I saw how he ran agencies extremely well, especially Department of Interior. I look forward to that. Again, uh, former Montana Congressman Danny Reberg with us here today as one of eight announced candidates. I'm not sure uh, there's some news about uh, the current sitting uh, incumbent Congressman Matt Rosendale. Uh, I'm not sure we'll, we'll enter that discussion here because uh, I think there's, you know, you know how rumors can spread around the world faster than a lie can get around the corner. So we'll 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 wait on that. Um, let's as I'm talking about that, though, um, what do you make of this race? It's going to be pretty crowded. It is going to be crowded, and I, and I can't answer questions about uh, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not necessarily a confidant. To, uh, you know, I don't talk to uh, to Danes and Jim Forte and Zinke and all on a daily basis. You know, we occasionally talk about policy and politics, uh, but I, I don't know what's going on with Matt. Matt's going to have to make his own decision, but I have to make my own as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a crowded field. Uh, I'm one of eight or nine or seven or who knows. Right. My head's swirling like everyone else's. I don't know. But the people of eastern Montana just need to know I'm in the race. Uh, I'm here to stay, win or lose the primary. Uh, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to win and to go back to Washington, D.C. and represent eastern Montana the way I tried to represent the entire state of Montana the way they deserve to be represented. Yeah, that's that's a whole different district now. It used to be an at-large congressional district. Um, i got to break up here in a couple of minutes, and, and maybe I was going to uh, address this a bit later, but let's talk about it now. Um, you won elections in 2000. In 2002, it was 65% of the vote. Uh, 2004, uh, 64% over Tracy Velasquez and then Monica Lindine. Are there any differences? I mean, a lot of races under your belt – are they run differently nowadays? To give you a real quick answer, you know, everybody said, why didn't you run for governor when you were lieutenant governor of Roscoe? Or why did you run against Tester when you could have had a safe house seat uh, for an extended period of time? What I wanted to do was create a contrast of philosophies between one set of ideas and another. And 
I just so strongly disagree in Joe Biden and his policies and the people he puts in place and and the the government we're getting that I, you know in 2012 uh yeah I could have run for the house again I could have had a safe seat but I wanted to create a contrast that we're not all the same that there are differing philosophies and it doesn't have to be spend 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 every once in a while you have to pay the piper and understand that that, that somebody is going to have to ultimately come up with the money. And so I was willing to peel off, uh, run against John Tester and create that contrast. Are things different? Yeah. uh, Politics moves. Um, Some would say it's moved to the right. Others would say it's moved to the left. I find myself to be fairly flexible as an old gymnast. I can I uh, can't do the splits anymore, but I can certainly uh, work with both sides to try and come up with uh, uh, philosophies that make America work again. And that's really what I want to do is um, make America look like it used to be, not necessarily what jo- um, Joe Biden is trying to do. And again, that's why I'm supporting uh, Donald Trump. And that's why... Uh, I think he's going to be successful, and he'll put people in place that I can work with. Got a, a one here, Denny, from uh, Sally, listening in Boulder. Thank you, Sally, for that. I appreciate that. Denny, thank you for running again. Uh, that's uh, that was that's it. Um, what's it like to get out there? And, and, and I appreciate you throwing your hat in the ring as well. And I know how hard public service is. It, 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 it's, it consumes you. It sure can. But it also energizes you, and it's, it's very, very vital for us as well. Um, what's, um, you know, running again, a lot to talk about in that regard, but when you, when you're out and talking with people and, and they express their concerns about this country, um, has anything changed? What's new immigration? Uh, I suppose. Well, first of all, I'll tell you how hard it is to, uh, be retired. Uh, I was home for two weeks. I alphabetized my wife's spice cabinet. And turns out that's really a dumb idea. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you need uh, six cumins and four all spices, and they're not, you know, lined up A, B, C, D. But I learned very quickly that uh, maybe that was not the right thing to do. Jan is all for this. And in fact, I didn't hear her, but she got up in the middle of the night and uh, wrote a little memo on some issues to me uh-huh. of things that she's heard me talk about. And that I ought to think about. And, you know, a lot of things she said was, you know, what happened to learning math, not critical race theory? Mm-hmm. Um, what happened to reading and writing, not gender ideology? And she's right. Yeah, she worries about our grandkids every bit as much as I do. And uh, she actually coined the term. She said, uh, he's so proud of his. Um, economic plan, uh, President Biden, he's called it Bidenomics. And she said, it's Badenomics. It just doesn't make sense. It's not affordable. It's going to catch up with this. He's not going to be around. And what makes her nervous is he's carrying around a football with the nuclear codes. And her point was, I wouldn't even let him carry around Knowlton's Nerf football, let alone the uh, football that's got the uh, the codes. So she came up with some really good things in the middle of the night. Maybe I'll just kind of wake her up from time to time and send her up yeah. to the computer. Yeah. 
Catch us up to date. I mean, uh, so you're a grandfather now. I think I think the last time, well, it was quite a while ago. So I don't think you had any grandkids at that point. That's something that's different. How does that, you talked about that a little bit, but how does that, um, you know, change your perspective from a lawmaker that you were to a lawmaker that you possibly could be? Well, uh, like many uh, moms and dads, you know, I didn't put as much time into our own children as I should. They reacted very poorly to politics, and now they love it. They understand it, they get it, and they're every bit as angry as I am and Jan is. So we now have a four-year-old and three grandsons that were born within 15 weeks of each other. They're all under two, so we have four. And if there's anybody listening that wants to loan us a little girl for a little while, uh, we really need a grandbaby because I got a lot of pink stuff in the garage, (laughs) a lot. Um, uh, Now I'll probably give them back, her back, uh, when she hits 13, 14, 15. Okay. If I remember correctly. Maybe fair. But but I I am running because of my grandchildren. Um, Again, I, I don't have to. Um, I can enjoy life. Um, I'm not a going to Arizona kind of guy. I need things to do and, and keep my mind busy. And I look at my grandchildren, and I'm not going to do to them what past generations have done to their grandchildren and this piled a bunch of debt on um, that they're going to have to pay for. And it's it's not just Medicare and Medicaid, it's Social Security, it's Obamacare, it's a accumulation of all of the new government that come has come into existence that somebody's going to have to pay for, and can they? Will they be willing to or able to? And that's what scares me. I just don't want to look back. Well, I won't look back because I won't be alive. But in 20, 30, 40 years, somebody says, well, Denny Reber piled a bunch of stuff on us, and now we can't pay for it, and America doesn't look like it should or did. And that's what gets me up in the morning. A lot of people have those those same concerns about it. I'm going to pick back up, um, and, you know, we'll talk about energy because that's one thing we've talked about a ton here. And when you were on the Appropriations Committee, you served on the Subcommittee on Energy and Water Development, so we'll pick that up. We've got education, as you mentioned, national security, health, and mental health. Um, I'm, going to go, I'm going to go to Social Security because you know, we, we talk about it here. I remember, again, in Congress when you, were, you served from 2001 to 2013, um, uh, six terms and uh, Obamacare um, was created during during that um, period, so to speak. Social Security, nobody's got it really on their plate. It doesn't rise too much to as a as an election issue. So our politicians aren't necessarily addressing it. The same things that were said 12 years ago are being said today. Um, when when do we get the gumption to take this issue on for our kids? Yeah, you know, and while you were talking, it's interesting to me because, uh, yeah, I was on energy and water, and the same things we're talking about with energy and energy production and the lack of energy we're talking about today. I mean, I remember 1979 when I worked for Ron Marlinay back in Washington. We talked about wind and solar being the solution. Okay, you know, uh, the technology has never caught up. And so during the 80s and 90s, I remember everybody talking about Social Security. Uh, The problem is the opposition always is able to portray 
that anybody that talks about Social Security wants to put grandma and grandpa in a wheelchair and roll them off the cliff. Mm. Yeah, literally. Uh, they're just not being honest. They, what they have to recognize is, yes, we need a social safety net. There can be, but let's quit stealing money from the trust fund um, for other government programs that have absolutely nothing to do with that social safety net. And so when, when people say, well, we're going to fix Social Security, I say, slow down. You haven't convinced the American public that there is a problem to begin with. Mm. And then is there a solution that you would be willing to accept? And I guess I learned that from Newt Gingrich because he just said, lay the case out first rather than just throw something out, vote on it, and then have the opponents come out and kill it, and you've gotten no further towards solving the issue than you have right now. So uh, that's those are some of the issues that I want to work with, is trying to help create an argument that there are solutions to our major problems. They don't have to be emotional. They don't have to be political. Slow down and let's just do it the right way convince the American public what the right way is, and I think we'll get the support to make the changes. Well, and and, and I appreciate that. And uh, I think, though, too, in making that argument, you can put some options out there. Um, uh, so what, what, have, what have you liked about it? I mean, the only options I'm hearing are we got to raise taxes, we got to lower Social Security um, benefits, or we got to do a combination of both. Uh, um, yeah. Are we not outside the box? Or, um, yeah, see, that's, yeah, that, that's the shorthand. Yeah. And uh, you're articulating just exactly what seems to be the argument right now. And that's why we need to take the time to say, okay, what does it look like? What do we want it to look like? How do we help those that are on it and not hurt anybody along the way while at the same time being realistic, saying you're spending money out of the trust fund that is not going in the right direction. You're collecting the Social Security tax, but the money is not going into a trust fund. And that's the hardest thing for people to realize is there is no trust fund. And that really bugs me because there should be a trust fund. There is in Montana. We have a trust fund, and it's inviolate, and it's called the coal tax trust fund. Mm -hmm. And every legislature comes up, and they want to tap it here and tap it there and tap it here. And so far, been pretty successful in saying, no, a trust fund is a trust fund. Um, and Social Security is a trust fund. Uh, there's a lot of work to do. It's, it's not going to be an easy solution. Former Congressman Danny Reberg with us here today. Not too many, not too many folks can say that, Danny, that uh, they, they, they were a cougar. Um, they, they were a former cougar gymnast. My daughters were always embarrassed because the first picture <laughs> at senior high on the wall was us as state champions year after year in gymnastics. And I have to admit, I didn't have much leg, um, but I was pretty good in the chest. And so my expertise was the side horse. But I had to divide my time between that and playing in the band. I was in the marching band. I did uh, musicals. And little known fact, my dad's little brother opened 35 Broadway plays back in New York City. As a French horn player. Ah. So there's nothing that Brian can't 
or can play that I don't appreciate, all the way from Lawrence Welk to ZZ Top. I <laughs> like it all. I like it all. That's really cool. Uh, and, I, um, and, and and we have, a, like, a mutual friend. Uh, we were just chatting off air. Um, Chakras Barker. Uh, we'll throw his yeah. name out there out of Missoula, ESP in Missoula. Uh, uh, and uh, you and him actually kind of grew up together here in Billings. Uh, long before he was with the Bapa Dips, he played with the Big Sky Revelers Drum and Bugle Corps in Billings, Montana, and uh, we traveled together, and then he moved to Missoula, uh, opened up his uh, music shop, but uh, uh, we go back and forth, but I will honestly admit, and this is hard for a politician to be honest, he was faster than me. Uh, he was he was a really good <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I uh, he's a good guy too. And Dave, everybody there at ESP, just saying hello and and thanks. It's been a while since I've been to Missoula. Let's get back on some some issues here. Um, I'm, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go to energy because where we're headed. And just to cut it short, um, uh, we're not doing the math on it. I think this is an irrational rush to renewables. I think people are willing to to get to a greener energy field, but. We still need to keep it affordable. We need, still need to keep it reliable um, and safe. And I don't think our current plans for our energy future have that in mind. I probably spent more time on energy than anything in Congress just because of my interest in energy in Montana and uh, being on energy and water appropriations. I've traveled the world looking at biomass and solar and wind and and all of that and I just honestly have to tell you, and there'll be people that listen to this go, oh, my God, how could he say this? Nuclear is the answer. Uh, it's the cleanest, and, and our problem is nuclear waste. We have somewhere that it needs to be put forever. Uh, we've identified Yucca Mountain, but Nevada doesn't want it. Uh, there's some blowback in places like France and other countries that are saying and I'm not sure we want uh, nuclear energy in our country right now. But in, in, in studying it, if I were to make a recommendation, uh, it is probably the cleanest, safest form of energy that will bring us into the 22nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th generations. Um, but again, there will be opposition to it. Um, and I'm all for wind and solar and geothermal. I've just seen... It's struggle, and a lot of it can't be done without government subsidies. Um, buy an electric car, but there's downsides to I it, the name up there. It's okay. and uh, we'll have to overcome those. But I've, I've seen those same arguments over the years, and I guess you get to be my age, you've seen a lot. And uh, uh, we want uh, wind, we want solar, we want geothermal. Uh, but we still have to have natural gas, gasoline, and diesel. Just have to. Let's take a call. Skip has probably got a question for you listening in Hamilton on KLYQ. And Skip, uh, I, I figured I'd hear from you as politically minded as you are. Thanks for calling. You're on the air with Eastern Congressional District candidate, Danny Reberg. And, and thank you, Tom. And, and uh, I, I'm always on a learning curve, but I... I, I thought, you know, what? A, when I heard it a few days ago, uh, Denny, uh, you've never met me, but, it, but uh, I was always your fan even when you were, when you were working for us before. And I, I worked a lot in Helen, and I had to, I had to stay over there, and, and, and I actually stayed the silo in for weeks at a time doing my work up in the mountains. 
and I saw your office there in Helena. And but I, I wanted to tell you that I thought what a, a breath of fresh air that you're going to jump in and uh, and and run again. You're a guy that uh, you got your thumb on the pulse of really important things. I think, especially energy, and and I I appreciate that a lot. And uh, I live over here in Beatty country. You know him, don't you? And uh, I wanted you to know that that even though I can't vote for you over here, uh, I, I think people should know how solid you are, and with your background and life experience that uh, you won't have to be trained and uh, you'll hit the ground running. And so uh, thanks for jumping in to, to that election. I appreciate it. Sir. Hey, well, thank you. Thank you for the call. And I'll remember this call because my gymnastics coach's name was Skip, <laughs> Skip Anderson. So I'll remember you. And uh, he was a fabulous coach. Looking, just looking forward to, yeah, it, it's hard for me to not represent the entire state. I'm, I'm struggling with that. And so my promise to the people of Darby and Libby and, and uh, Dylan is that you write me a letter, you pick up the phone, uh, you give me a call, you have a concern, you, you need help with constituent services, I'm there for you. Maybe I'm not representing the entire state of Montana anymore. But in my mind, I do. So uh, you're not losing me. I'm, I'll do everything I possibly can uh, to help anybody in the Western Congressional District working with uh, Congressman Sinke on any issue that he has uh, or separately from, from Ryan because yep. uh, it just means a lot to me. Yeah, he's very solid there, too. Let's, let's move over to health care. Um, Obamacare was initiated during your, your term in Congress. Uh, we've seen, uh, of course, COVID has, I think, revealed a lot of things and, uh, you know, in terms of what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Um, I think our, our health care community is still recovering from that. Our trust in our health care community has been damaged through this process as well. But yet we still need quality and affordable health care. And I, I'm not sure we're on the right direction there either. I agree. And uh, I am no fan of insurance companies. And what Obama did or Obamacare did was put uh, insurance companies between us and health care. And we've got a lot of things that need to be done. Now, I don't want to get too technical because um, you hire me in Washington to understand the issue. I chaired the committee. Uh, had to fund Obamacare. I did everything I could to defund the things I thought did not make sense. Uh, but the Democrats were very smart in the way they wrote Obamacare. There are certain things that are entitlements now that you can't undo. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done to try and make Obamacare work. It's not going to go away. Once you give the public something, uh, they're not going to want to lose it. And so we've got a lot of work to do to try and make it work. And I'm ready, willing, and able. I mean, my expertise over the years when I was in the, the state legislature, I was on appropriations, health care. And so when I went to Congress, I became the chairman of health and human services. And I spent my time trying to make health care more affordable. There's a lot of work to do. It's not going to be easy. Uh, it doesn't have to be painful. 
but I know where the bodies are buried, <laughs> and I'm ready and willing and able to address health care. Is it a different scenario, though? Because um, I, I remember when you were in Congress, you were uh, our pharmaceutical companies were – uh, we're not so big, and I think that they were, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put words in anybody's mouth. I, I think that they were um, a little more accessible, a little more public-oriented. Now it's very much a, a corporate structure, um, and, and, and big pharma, in a lot of people's minds, is too big and has hurt us. Um, how, how, do you, how do you address some solutions to healthcare with this big elephant in the room? Well, the, the difficulty is... Uh, and again, I don't think it's going to change, is the pharmaceutical companies now have the ability to advertise. And so when they say, you know, Depixin's going to save you from this and Renvoke is going to save you from that, and you hear it over and over and over again, the poor doctors are hearing from patients saying, why am I not on Depixin? And then uh, you find out what Depixin costs. And uh, the insurance companies don't necessarily pick the entire tab or you have to have the right insurance company to pay for it. Uh, Therein lies part of the rub. So it has changed substantially since you and I probably talked last before Obamacare. And uh, again, I'm no fan of insurance companies and big pharma. And we've got to get to the bottom of You've, you've got to quit convincing people that they need to be on something that maybe there's something better, something cheaper, something generic. Um, do you, you know, what's the copay going to be? Because I see people walking in and out of the hospitals and the clinics going, well, my insurance company doesn't necessarily cover that. Well, I'm sorry, then your charge is $450 versus 30. Uh, that's yeah. what we have to try and fix. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, an issue here, uh, because when, when you were in Congress, you um, opposed same-sex marriage. Um, when we talk about those social issues and LGBTQ issues, um, we're a long ways from opposing same-sex marriage. When you talk about education, um, I think you had noted earlier there seems to be um, some infiltration uh, in our education system. Um, how how do we move your values or your, um, the shared values uh, of people who will uh, elect you and those you represent, for that matter? Um, how how do you move those forward in this dynamic? Well, my philosophy hasn't changed over the years. You know, I'm pro life, uh, plain and simple. Um, and so you can debate weeks and all of that kind of stuff, but the you know, I have the exception for rape, incest, and life of the mother. It hasn't changed, and states are going to be arguing, you know, six weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks. Uh, but I'm pro-kid, and I helped create the um, zero to three, which is the youth caucus, uh, to take care of children. Uh, as far as the social issues, you know, we, we just can't let it take so much of the oxygen out of the room that we forget that the big issue right now is illegal immigration. Uh, We've got to solve that issue. And it has economic issues. And the second issue is economics. And we have to solve those issues. So there are these issues that people are, are on the periphery arguing about. 
But we cannot lose sight of what Joe Biden and the administration and his people that work for him are doing to us as a society. Uh, we have to we have to stay focused as much as we possibly can without getting diverted into arguing about other things. As you noted, and this will, this is a, a chance for you to make a pitch here, pretty crowded um, Eastern Congressional District race. One note here, I just saw Stephen Held, who's the father of Ricky Held, the Held versus Montana decision, did file this morning for District 2. Um, I've, I've not seen your name officially filed yet. Uh, so uh, make that pitch uh, with the crowded field. And, and I got about a minute, maybe minute 15 to do that. in. Um, and then how can we get a hold of you, Denny? You bet. I will uh, file. Uh, I haven't done it formally. I did announce. And uh, you can do it by computer and write a check over the computer, or you can go up in person. And I'm debating when to go and how to do it. I'm in. And um, anybody wants to look at my uh, email address, it's uh, com. How easy is that? Um, I'm still working on my website. I uh, haven't got that put together because this all happened very quickly. But what I'm doing is I'm putting my name in the mix because I believe that I've got the experience, the desire, the vigor, and the enthusiasm to go back and help the next generation. Um, We have this generation. We're doing fine. Not as well as we'd like to. We deal with the issues like COVID. But what I really am concerned about is my four-year-old grandson, my three two-year-old grandsons, anybody else's grandsons and great-grandsons and great-grandsons. I don't want them to wake up one day and not recognize America the way that we knew it, and they deserve it. Good luck to you. Okay, good luck to you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Tom. Safe travels on the road. Okay? You betcha. Former Congressman Danny Reber. Thanks again for joining us for the podcast. Please share and subscribe and let us know what you think. Email me at tom at voicesofmontana.com. And don't forget, we're on weekdays on your hometown radio stations all across Montana. We hope to hear from you there, too.